So welcome along to our sermon extended, expanded, on which is based on Sunday the 28th of January 2018. We're looking at Luke chapter 9 verses 10 to 17, which is about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to recap this, to recap what was said. Some of you, if you weren't able to get there on Sunday morning, this will be the sermon as well, but it's slightly expanded in that we'll get some thoughts, we'll think about some things that we didn't get to think about on that Sunday morning. If you were there on Sunday morning, this is an additional. If you weren't able to get, because I know our Facebook stream cut off early for some reason, technological reasons, and so maybe if you were trying to watch it online, you didn't get to hear. So this will be the Sherman Plus, you'll get the expanded version, which is slightly longer. Uh, and which holds some more of the thoughts which go in behind, maybe some of the background, and, and we go a little deeper into this passage. From week to week, we've been asking you to read in between. Last week, we looked at, on the 21st, we looked at the, the woman who, from 736, the sinful woman forgiven, as it is uh, subtitled in my Bible, about the woman and the Pharisee, and the lavish love that the woman poured upon Jesus that time. And so we've asked you to read from there, from 736 to 50, through to chapter 9, verse 10, in your own time. You can do that again. You can pause this and stop it and go and read those, and then come back. We'll not talk too much. Well, in fact, we'll not talk about what's happened in between, but we're just going to focus on this passage, which is Jesus feeds the 5,000 in Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17, which I'll read now. This is from the ESV, just FYI. On their return, the apostles told him all they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. That's Caleb, just letting me know he's still there. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowds away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And when they did so, and had them all sit down, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. We've been looking over these passages, we've been thinking about what has happened and what has been going on. We've been looking at how Jesus responds to circum cir certain circumstances. Uh, and in a book called A Meal with Jesus, Robert Karras, Robert Karras concludes that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. In all the books that are written in the Bible, there's always a reason for them. The, the writer has something in mind. And for Karras, this seems to centre around the idea of a meal. And the meals that Jesus either were at when these stories appear, or were going to, or were coming from. And we have to understand that for a meal, for the Jewish people, a meal was hugely important. For us these days, it's no more than just fuel before we get on to the next thing we have to do, or we rush. That's hence why we have McDonald's and Burger King and KFC and all these drive-through places where we can literally get sustenance for our physical bodies as quickly as possible. We don't spend time over it. 
we literally run in, get it as quick as we can, and take it away and eat it in our cars if we have to. Fast food essentially is exactly that, or supposed to be exactly that. But for Jesus, for his culture of the time, a meal was something more than that. A meal was all about a, a welcome. Uh, in this book, A Meal with Jesus, Tim Chester, the writer, says that being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy and unity. And so it was something more. Another writer, Mary Douglas, goes on to say that everything, uh, it wasn't simply food, it actually, read it, policing the human body was a way of policing the social body by maintaining a common identity. Jewish food laws not only symbolised cultural boundaries, they also created them. And that's the idea of the laws in Leviticus and the many food laws that the Jews had. It wasn't actually just something about your body and trying to be healthy. And we have these fads these days about no sugar or no fat or no this or no that. But for the Jews, it wasn't just about policing the human body. It was actually about the social body by this common identity that the Jews had and still have. If you go to the synagogue and talk to the rabbi or talk to the Jewish people there, they'll have certain uh, certain ways they eat because that's their common identity. It, it symbolised cultural boundaries but it also created them. A central question in the Judaism of Jesus' day was, who can I eat with? Who am I allowed to eat with? Who is allowed to sit at the table with me? And so for this... This was a massive issue at the time and we see that again and again in, in the New Testament and in the Gospels where the, the Pharisees, the rabbis of the day are asking Jesus, well, why do you eat with this person? Or like last week, Simon was asking Jesus, do you not know who this woman is? You're here, you're, you're at a meal with us and yet you're allowing this woman to do this thing. It's just bonkers. Last week we looked at the meal of the uninvited guest with the woman, the, the prostitute, came and didn't take part in the meal but was there in the surrounding of it who poured this alabaster jar of perfumed oil over his feet and wiped them with her hair and cried over him uh, and the way in which she knew the need that she had for Jesus and here it's another meal it's not just one uninvited guest there were thousands of uninvited guests Jesus had been doing lots of things in the interim time which you'll have been able to read about it he has performed lots of miracles. He has done lots of things. He has sent out the 12 apostles and they come back to him. And like any of those times, they needed this time of rest, of recuperation, a time to recharge and refresh and re-energize through their connection with Jesus and with God. And so they, they go off to this quiet place to a town called Bethsaida, which was a small town, which nothing much happened in, a town that they could just relax in and try and recuperate it was a village in the far side of the Jordan to the north of the Sea of Galilee. But whenever these people discover where Jesus is or find out where he is, they all flock there. And so to him, this time, this feast, this mealtime, the intimate time that he was having with his disciples was suddenly actually broken into, was disrupted by these thousands of people. We're told there were 5,000 men. That's nothing I would mention this in church this morning because there was some debate over uh, an announcement that was made last week that involved no ladies. Women would have been there, but they weren't counted. That was just the Jewish way of counting. You counted the, the man as the head of the home. 
And so for them, 5,000 men, there were women there, there were probably children there. You'd maybe talk and double it and take a bit more for kids. 12, 13, 14,000 people who kind of appeared wanting Jesus to do stuff for them. But instead of turning them away, running from them or trying to hide from them, Jesus invites them in. Even though he's exhausted, even though he is uh, wanting to get away from people, even though he's trying to break up and trying to do all these relaxing things to try and recharge and reconnect, he still invites them in. Now, there's different ways of looking at this passage. We might look at it from that point of view, where we say, actually, well, Jesus was fatigued. Jesus was tired. He was exhausted. He was having to deal with all these different things. He was maybe feeling sorry for those people. And so we can look at it from the compassion point of view, from saying, well, look at the good Jesus compassion and we should show compassion even when we're tired and fatigued and all, all of that. We could look at it from a point of view compassion. We could look at the actual miracle and to say, well, how did Jesus perform this miracle? There were thousands of people and he was giving, given five loaves and two fish and what an amazing miracle he performed. It's interesting that William Barclay, one of well-known commentator on the New Testament from years ago, very well respected, very well thought of, has an interesting take on this miracle, which has kind of baffled me and my brain has turned it over for the last while. There are two ways, he says, in which a man can quite honestly look at this miracle. First, he can see it as simply a miracle in which Jesus created food for this vast multitude. Some people might think that this is what happened. The other way is that people were hungry and they were utterly selfish. They all might have had something with them, but they would not even produce it for themselves in case they had to share it with others. He's looking at this way in which people would have travelled with food. They knew they were going to go somewhere. They knew something was happening. They were flocking to Jesus. So you're not just going to go empty-handed. You're going to have stuff with you. But out of selfishness, they wouldn't bring it out. They wouldn't produce it and share with each other. And so when the twelve laid before the multitude their little store... And thereupon others were moved to produce their little store, and in the end there was more than enough for everyone. So it may be regarded as a miracle which turns selfish, suspicious folk into generous people. A miracle of what happens when moved by Christ, people are moved to share. There is that aspect of it. And then we're going to look at it in a way, in a moment, which I'm going to look at it. I'm not going to look at the compassion of Jesus. I'm not going to look at the miracle. But I'm going to look at the purpose of it, which shows us who Jesus is, what he was about, and shows us who God is and what God is about. Um, interestingly, there is, um, just to expand on the blessing that Jesus does in it, there's a Jewish saying that he who enjoys anything without thanksgiving, it is as though he robbed God and has desecrated both God and the creation of which this has come from growing up. I was at a table, there were six in my family and because life was busy and people were coming and going, the, the mealtime was, was sacred and we said grace beforehand. Some people will do that, some people won't. But that's the idea of, of this Jewish saying that he who enjoys anything without thanksgiving, it is as though he robbed God. Blessing which was said in every home in Palestine before every meal ran like this. Blessed art thou, Jehovah, our God, King of the world, who causeth bread to come forth from heaven. So Jesus naturally wouldn't eat without 
giving this thanks beforehand. So that was just an, an aspect of the story and an aspect of Jewish everyday life and of course the life then that Jesus is part of and forms as a Jew. That's what he would have done. But I'm going to look at, at the purpose of what it is and it's the purpose in the very last line in verse 17 where it says and they all ate and were satisfied and what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. I had a box of Jaffa Cakes with me on Sunday. I 24 Jaffa Cakes, you can buy lots more if you want. I let people know that it's something weird about my personality, just to let you in on that little bit, where I don't like fresh Jaffa Cakes. I like the ones that have gone off a little bit, and so they're a little bit hard. It means they just kind of are like a bit crunchier. It means you can bite into them and feel something there, and it also is you can peel off the little orange bit in the middle a little bit easier. And so that's why I like the kind of crunchy ones. But anyway, these Jaffa Cakes, if it was, if I was there, I could probably eat all 24 by myself. If I was hungry, if I had walked for miles, if I had nothing to eat for a little bit of time, I could definitely eat all 24 on my own. I would maybe share them with someone else so we could have 12 each as they come in nice little plastic wrappers for 12 each. I, I could do that. In our congregation on Sunday morning there was a choir and maybe 24 in the choir, give or take, I could give one each and they could get a whole one each. Or if we shared it out among the whole church, it could happen, we could share it out, but nobody would get very much. They'd all get a, a, a corner, nobody would get the whole orange circle in the middle. You would get a little bit, you might be able to tear a bit off or nibble at a corner just to have a tiny little bit. We could feed everybody everybody could get some of that Jaffa cake but no one would be satisfied and there definitely wouldn't be any that would be able to be picked up let alone 12 baskets full no matter how big or small the baskets were there would be none left over I can promise you that and so what does this show us well it shows us the abundance of Christ he doesn't do things to the minimal amount he does things excessively abundantly we often see waste as a terrible thing and, and rightly so waste is a terrible thing when we go shopping we'll make sure we have a list because we don't want the things we have to go off we don't want to spend money on extra things we don't want to have waste at the end of the day we have our recycling bins in many shapes and forms many colors as well where we put different things in different bins to make sure the waste is kept to a minimum a huge one at the minute is this idea of plastic and plastic waste to try and stop the masses of plastic that are floating about in our oceans, that are put into landfills, that aren't able to be recycled. We have this massive amount of plastic that we are wasting. And so waste is bad and so we're trying to cut down on our waste. One of my friends who is looking into this and looking into the laws behind this is actually contemplating and was telling me he was going to go plastic free and try to live life plastic free and, and write a blog to to charter to see let people other people see how he's been doing this but it's a massive undertaking because there's plastic in everything he was saying even nappies so you'd have to go back to the old nappy style and all that so it's not just a something you can decide to do for a day it's a change a total change in the lifestyle but that's plastics we think of waste as a bad thing. And if we're going to steward this earth properly, we need to think of waste as a bad thing. And we don't need, we shouldn't waste. But when it comes to God, God is wasteful in the most brilliant and the most beautiful and the most excellent way. We 
like to do things to make sure we don't waste. Even maybe if it's giving love to other people or giving affection or giving time to other people, we make sure that we can we know what time we have to leave at so we can go on to the next thing. Or maybe if it's giving your opinion to someone else or telling a story to someone else or even if someone asks you how you've been and what you're doing, we stick to the minimal in lots of things. We don't like to give abundantly. We don't like to give excessively. Maybe even when it's birthdays or we're giving presents, we like to do the most minimal we can. We don't like to give abundantly or excessively, but that's exactly what Jesus did in this passage. They all ate and were satisfied and what was left over was picked up and 12 baskets of broken pieces were left. That is abundance. That is waste in the most excellent way because that is who Jesus is and that shows us who he is, what he was about and shows us what God is about because God, when God is involved, things are done in abundance. And so for you, God can and will work abundantly for you in the midst of whatever you face, in the midst of all you have to deal with, God will give abundantly if you allow him. We can assume if that we're maybe not good enough, that because there's someone holier, or at least we think are more holy than us, or better than us, that God won't have enough love left for us. He might not even have enough mercy left for us. He might not have enough forgiveness for us. He doesn't know what we've done or what we've been through. God's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness are abundant. They're overflowing wastefully onto us. And so no matter what you have done, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you think you might not be or should be or what bar you haven't reached but you wish, none of that matters. God gives abundantly to each of you. No matter what ways you think, well, I can't or I shouldn't or I'm not, God's love is there pouring over each of us. And so we need to ask seriously, trustingly, honestly, that God will pour out his blessing upon you today. And so ask for it. We often can ask in practical ways like, God bless me with millions of pounds so I don't have to work anymore. God bless me with, I don't know, cars and like a six pack and all that kind of stuff. We, we, we even, that's even minimizing what the potential of God actually is. Because in a greater, in a more abundant, in a more excessive way, God can do so much more. Because the physical will rot, will fade, vanish and decay. Whereas the spiritual is eternal and everlasting and begins here and now and continues here and now. And that is the excessive grace, peace, love, forgiveness, mercy. Whatever word you want to put on it, that is what God has waiting to be poured out and lavished and excessively wasted in the most beautiful and excellent way on you. And so hopefully today... That has helped you. Hopefully you, it'll, it'll help you realize that God is with you and for you and before you and lavishing abundance excessively on you. And may that fill you with a sense of joy. May you, my brothers and sisters, 
Ask seriously, trustingly, honestly for God to pour out abundantly, excessively, beautifully, wastefully on you and those who you love and those who you work with and those who in your family and all of you this day. Hopefully you've found that transforming. Hopefully you find that helpful. Hopefully you find that maybe a new way of looking at this passage. And so may grace and peace be yours this day in absolute abundance.